We'll have to keep that microphone by just in case. Keep it handy. Can we hear me? Is it on? He said it worked last week, so hopefully it works for me this week, right? We've all seen the issues for me on this microphone. Uh, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9 today. As we look at starting into this new year, this new beginning, it's always an exciting time. Every year people ask the questions, will this be the year it gets better? Will this be the year that things will start to change in my life? Will this be the year, whatever your question is, right? We've all had those questions. Will this be the year of something new? With, with the new year comes a new hope, a new thought, a new process, right? We have, everybody has New Year's resolutions, like, these are things we're going to do to change our lives. I'm going to get healthier. I'm going to get stronger. I'm going to read more, right? I'm going to spend more time in God's Word. I'm going to make a change in my life. So I titled this today, Resolutions for the New Year. And as we look at Paul and some thoughts I have from him. So we'll be looking at uh, Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is any praise, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received, and have heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for all that you've done. Father, we thank you for this new year, this new beginning of challenges and goals, Father. I pray that you would just turn our hearts to you in this time period, Father. There are goals we set Focused on your glory and your love, Father, not our own wants, Father. We just praise you and we love you in your heavenly name. So as he starts this passage off, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. To rejoice, what does that mean? So I looked up the definition. It's to feel or show great joy or delight. To feel or show great delight in the Lord. So rejoice. To have a feeling and to show it, right? Not just to have it, but it's to feel it and to show it in the Lord. But you notice it didn't say, if you want to rejoice, you can. It was a command, right? You are to rejoice in the Lord always. And if you didn't catch it, he says, again, he goes, just in case, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say it, rejoice, right? It's important to Paul. Rejoice in the Lord. Right? Rejoice in the Lord. Not ourselves. Not in our families. Not our accomplishments. Right? Those things aren't always the best things. But the Lord is always good. Right? We're rejoicing in not what's been done, but who God is. Because God is great. God is holy. And even though things are going bad sometimes, we can still rejoice because... God is God. He's the creator of all things, and he has love for us no matter what. Nowhere does it promise that life's going to be easy, but it does say God's going to be with us. 
So we can rejoice in that fact alone, that he is Lord and he is God. See, in Habakkuk, chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, he's talking about a tough time. But let me read what he says as he, as he talks about this tough time. It says, I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, Yet I will triumph in Yahweh. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Yahweh is my Lord and my, uh, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. Tough times. No food. Nothing's coming. A, a war is coming at him. And he sees all the pain and the distress. He's furious. He's trembling. And yet he says, I will rejoice in the Lord, my God. See, we can rejoice always, because God is always good. And then verse 5 of Philippians says, basically it's saying, let others see your joy. Let others see who you are. Right? If you're rejoicing, you're feeling it, you're showing it. Right? Let others see that. I read one commentary, and he was talking about uh, the idea, we all know that one person that's always doom and gloom, and when they leave the room, everybody brightens up a little bit. Things become happier, right? right? We all we all know that person. Like when they're in the room, everything's just kind of down because everybody's on pins and needles waiting for that person to just leave so we can have a joke and we can laugh again, right? So as Christians, we don't want to be that person, right? Because if we're that person, we're not rejoicing. We're not showing God's love to everyone around us. They're just seeing a doom and gloom type of person. Everything's bad around them. So others need to know that we can rejoice in the Lord. So the first thing in this passage we're called to rejoice. The second thing, in verses 6 and 7, is to relax. All right? Don't worry about anything. Well, don't worry about anything. How are we supposed to make it? Right? All this bad stuff going on, how am I not going to worry about it? Things are going rough. I got bills to pay, and I don't have the money to pay them. My car is broken down. How am I going to take care of that? I got sick family. I got a house to take care of. What am I going to do? There's so many, many problems in the world. And that's not even, I mean, if you watch the news for five minutes, there's a lot to worry about in the world. So Paul starts that statement, do not worry about anything. But then he goes on. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made to, known to God. So in other words, don't worry. Make it known to God. Give it to God. Let him be the one to take it. Because if he has it, we don't have to worry about it, right? It's his responsibility. It's his thing to do. And we just have to trust God to take care of it. And then we can go back to rejoicing. Right? Because now we rejoice because God's got the problem. I've got the God that loves me. 
And I don't have to worry about taking care of the problem because I can just stop and rejoice always. It goes on and says, give it, give it to God. And then he says, after you've give, made the request to God, it says, then the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Right? Because if you've truly given it away, God's going to stand between you and say, we got this. It's good. Don't worry about it. Go, have your, go do your thing. Everything's taken care of. And with that comes true peace in our lives when we're not struggling and worrying about the situation at hand. See, in Matthew chapter 11, God's telling us again not to worry. Or Jesus is telling us this time. It says, um, Matthew eleven twenty-five through 30, it says, At that time, Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because, it, because this was your good pleasure, all things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. When they were talking about yoke in the, in the biblical time, they were talking about submitting to somebody, right? And so when you give your life over to somebody, you submit over to them, you're giving your everything to them. And what he's saying is, my yoke is easy. When you submit to me, it's easy. When you submit to a different master, it gets tough. There's more requirements. There's more things you have to do. But Jesus said, submit to me. I'm going to take it all for you. I'm going to take care of the issues. I'm going to take care of the problems. You have one job, and that's to rejoice in me. Because I've got you. My, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And then Matthew 6, 25-34, it says, This is why I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't it more than food in the body, more than the clothes? Look at the birds of the sky. Don't they sow or reap or gather into barns? Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown out in the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the idolaters eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He's saying, don't worry about the things of life. The problems that are going to be tomorrow are going to be there tomorrow. Right? Don't take away from rejoicing in God to worry about the problems of the future. Because if you've truly given it to God, he knows what you truly need. It may not be the easiest path. 
There may be days when you're a little bit hungrier than others. Right? You may have to wear the same outfit two days in a row. Right? But God knows what you have and what you need and what you, what's going to take care of you. When we think about the Israelites for 40 years, they walked in the wilderness. They didn't stop and plant crops. They didn't stop and make clothes. Right? The, the clothes they wore leaving were the clothes they were still wearing 40 years later. They didn't, go to, they didn't tear up. They didn't get ruined. God took care of them. When they were hungry, God provided food for them. I mean, he gave them manna every morning to take care of themselves, to feed them. And all they had to do was go out and gather it. They didn't have to plant anything. They didn't have to go looking for it. It was just sitting out there for them to grab. For 40 years, he took care of them because he knew that's what they needed. They didn't have to worry about those things. But if we read through the Old Testament, what did they do? They worried about it, right? They lost track, and they didn't rejoice that they had food every morning and that they had water when they needed it. They didn't rejoice that there was the pillar of fire guiding them throughout the time period. Instead, they worried about the bad things in life. We don't have food for tomorrow. We don't have water. Oh, look, there's giants that are in the, in the land you promised us we could go to. Let's not go there. Right? They worried about it rather than rejoicing that they have the God who could take care of everything and end up costing them in the long run. And then he goes on. So we rejoice, we relax. And then Paul just calls us to replicate. All right? So Paul says to imitate his example, both as church and individuals in verses 8 through 9. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's any praise, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. All right, Paul had this way of living that he felt was godly. He said, I've taught you how to do this. I've taught you what God's taught me. Try to replicate it. Live this way. Live the examples I've given. All right, it says, dwell on these certain things in your life. Dwell on what's true. What, what's the truth is the things that correspond to the teaching of God's word. Right? That's our ultimate truth. Who Jesus is is truth. Dwell on that. If you watch the news, what are they dwelling on? All the bad. Right? All the craziness going on in the world. The not truth. And that takes away from our praising God. The noble, the things that have dignity and moral, of moral excellence. Well, it's almost bad in society now if we, if we focus on the noble things of life, right? Like if you watch the, the world play out, they, they get mad at people who focus on the good in life and what's godly. You're being a mean person by not focusing on the, the ungodly things the just, the things that conform to God's standards. Focus on those things, right? Imagine if we lived in a world where everybody focused on God's standards. Or imagine if we just had the church that focused on God's standards. Not even the world itself. The church fails at that one a lot of times. They get so focused on the worldly standards, they forget about God's standards. The pure thing, those things that make us free from sin. Right, those pure things that are not sinful. Let's focus on those. 
the lovely, those virtues that make believers attractive and winsome, such as generosity, kindness, compassion, and willingness to forgive. Imagine if we focused on that stuff in the world today. And that's how we lived our life with that focus. The things of good report, things that give Christians a good reputation and a good name. Right? We forget to focus on that part of Christianity, right? Like, we forget to focus on how good and godly people are. And we don't mention that, how great they are and what they're doing. But let somebody make a mistake in the church, and what do we do? That all the focus comes to that person, the mistake they made, and we forget about that God loves that person, and we care about them, and we focus only on their sole mistake as opposed to who God is. But Paul tells us if we focus on these things and replicate them, it says, then the peace of God will be with us. Peace of God, will. we all want that peace, right? So it tells us kind of twice how to get that peace of God. One, to give it all to him, and then the focus on the good things because we're rejoicing in him, right? So as we turn that focus all to God, then we can have that peace in this new year. Right? We don't have to worry about those questions we start off with. Will this be a good year? The question is, are we worshiping God in this new year? Are we praising God? Are we rejoicing in who he is and not worrying about the bad that's around us, but focusing on the truth, the noble, the just, the pure, the lovely, right, and the things of good report for the church. But with all those things, there's one thing that we, that if we don't have it done, now, Paul was talking to a bunch of Christians here. He's talking to the church at Philippi. But there may be another group here that isn't a part of the church. People who haven't accepted Christ as their Savior and haven't submitted their lives to Christ. So there's a fourth R in repent. And it's something that even Christians need to do as we walk through our day, as we make mistakes, as sin comes up in our life. But for those who aren't saved... In order to rejoice, relax, and replicate, they first have to repent of the sins that they have. So in Matthew 3, 2, John the Baptist announced <clears throat> Jesus' call with a call of repentance. He said, as, he, as, Jesus, as Jesus was entering, John the Baptist says, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus is coming, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. Right? And that's something we all need to do. We need to repent of the sins that we have in our lives. Paul goes on in Romans 3.23 and says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? We've all made mistakes. We've all done something wrong. Probably on a moment-by-moment -moment basis we're doing that. But it's not some have sinned. It's not a few people. All, everyone has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then in Romans 6, 23, it says the wages of sin is death. Right? The payment for that sin is death, eternal death away from God. But then he goes on that same passage, he says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? So the payment for our sin, what we earn and what we do with our sin is death. But God says, I have a free gift for you, 
And that's eternal life. If you just submit to me. If you turn your life over to me. So how do we do that? What do we have to do? Paul tells us in Romans 10, 9-10, it says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that Christ raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. So it's confessing that Christ is Lord and repenting of the sins in our lives. Right? That together allows us to come into the presence of God. And then we can rejoice with God. And then we can relax in God because we can give everything to God because we no longer have to hold it ourselves. We're no longer accountable for those sins. And then we can start focusing and replicating on those things that are good in our lives. But the starting point is repentance. And so even as Christians, if we're struggling with sin in our lives, we may have to go back and repent before we can get back to rejoicing, relaxing, and replicating. Right? And so then the, the question is for, that some people ask, how do we know that that's all I have to do? That I just have to confess? Well, another, another writer in the Bible, uh, John, said in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess with our sins, he's faithful and righteousness, righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? It's not if you confess, he may. If you truly confess, he will. All right, it's a promise. It's not a question thing we have to ask. Will it happen if I if I truly come to him and truly give him my sin and confess and repent and turn away from it. It's not a question of will he do it. He will do it. He will take that away from you. And he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Not some of it. All of it. Will it make you a perfect person all of a sudden? No. Unfortunately. You're justified in your sin and you're, you're forgiven of it. But you're still who you are, and God now comes the work of changing who you are. Right? So many times I've heard people say, I have to change my life before I can come to God. Nowhere in God's word does it say that. God didn't ask anybody to change before they came to him. He said, Come to me and I will change you. Right? He didn't go to Zacchaeus and beforehand say, Oh, if you go change all the stuff, I'll go to your house. No, he said, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree, I'm going to your house today. He met people where they were and who they were. He didn't ask you to change to come to him. He came to you and wants to work with you and change you. Let us close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the love and the mercy you've given us. Father, we praise you for all that you've done in our lives. Father, I pray that we would just collectively be able to rejoice in who you are today, Father, so that we can relax and we can live lives that honor you. Father, we just pray that for that one, two, many people, however many people are here, Father, that haven't repented and made you their God and their Savior. I pray that today will be the day that this new year they will truly be able to rejoice in who you are and to relax in this world. We praise you and we love you. In your name. Amen.